I think part of me when I was a firefighter, I didn't work eight to five Monday through Friday. I did shift work. So that allowed me a lot of days off. So I was um, football coach. I was baseball coach, t-ball coach, soccer coach. You know, um, I coached all my kids through all their sports because of that. And, you know, that gave me a love for being part of something, not just working for a bigger check. You know, I work for so I can meet the goals and dreams that I want to meet. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is Clark here with my co-host, Jace. This is episode 200 and one jace how are you doing what's going on doing great man how you doing good good doing well we just had a great interview a couple great interviews one was with an electrician we i don't think we featured that job before also with joe he's a f-18 fighter pilot so that that was pretty awesome to interview him but yeah some fun interviews coming up here obviously we just launched jeremy uh episode 200 successful entrepreneur net worth of 320 million he was our highest net worth a millionaire to date. So fun discussion with him. We discussed real estate, angel investments, goal setting and thinking big, time management and uh, more teaching children about finances too. So pretty amazing to, to hear somebody worth 320 million, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, once again, real appreciative of Jeremy and his times. Phenomenal episode. A uh, really cool story. You know, great advice all throughout the episode. Yeah, so this week, just as a brief intro, we have Mark. He's a fire marshal. Uh, net worth is just about $1 million, just under. So we discuss his inv- investments, retire aspirations, some mistakes he's made, and he was really open about some of his feelings. So thanks again to him for coming on the show, and obviously thanks to all of our millionaires who come on and open up and, and share their stories. So we received a, a speak pipe message uh, from Thomas and just want to play that and discuss his question. So here's from Thomas. Hi. I am a new listener. I've listened to five of your podcasts so far, and I have a question that I have not heard addressed yet. That is, how do millionaires protect their assets? So an example is I have an investment account that is taxable, and I moved it into an LLC to protect it from creditors in case my insurance doesn't cover a claim against me. But I would like to know how other millionaires are handling this same issue. Thank you. So, Jace, what's what are your thoughts there? Protecting assets, protecting money, net worth. What what have we heard millionaires do? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. It is something that I, I think we could probably do a better job at, at getting at and understanding and discussing with our millionaires. But you know, the the common things that that have come up. One, I think there's a, a different conversation depending on what kind of asset allocation you might have and what kind of investments, you know, some millionaires might come on and, you know, they may have a primary residence and the majority of their money in tax advantaged accounts or whatever, which in a lot of cases are, are exempt from creditors. But the the main thing is one, putting those insurances in place to, you know, transfer that risk, whether it be on rental property or primary residence. And then on top of that, adding an umbrella policy that would cause, you know, kind of one more stoppage if, if there were to be anything, you know, if to, for example, if like 
you know, you had a personal injury accident or some sort of issue happened on your property, putting that umbrella policy in place to, to be that first stoppage. And then after that, you know, we've seen all sorts of sorts of different things where millionaires will, will structure their assets in LLCs or they'll put certain things in trusts. Or they'll move, you know, one asset to, you know, a different family member or what have you. And some of that gets into the estate tax planning uh, as well as just the asset protection, uh, you know. And there have been a few that have discussed it. We did have an asset protection attorney on. I don't remember exactly which episode that was, but there are different things millionaires will go to an asset protection attorney for in terms of structuring some of these things. But I think on the, you know, for the typical millionaire that we've had on the show, most of them have not gone that route or employed that uh, type of professional for those things. But definitely something to consider, especially as your net worth continues to grow. And if it's definitely outside of, you know, 401k or IRA or those types of things, if you start getting small business assets or, you know, real estate or those kinds of things, definitely something to consider. And, you know, we'll try to do a better job at getting into some of that with some of our millionaires in the future. Yeah. And I think Thomas hit on it too, right? LLC protection. So those that have a higher net worth and often have a lot of real estate investments, I think it begs the question of how much do you hold individually in each LLC? So obviously it's easy to say a big property should be held in an LLC, but I mean, we've talked to people that have 50 single family rentals and how many LLCs should you have for all of those rentals? Um, and then I think you hit the nail on the head with, with the trust, obviously as the net worth continues to grow. I mean, we recently spoke to somebody worth about a hundred million and he said, look, I don't own anything, right? Nothing's in my name. If somebody comes after me, I'm protected. So trust, LLCs, insurance policies, I think are all, are all good metrics there. So thanks to Thomas for writing in there. If you would like to ask a question, we encourage you to do so. We'll try to talk about these in the intro. You can go to our website, millionairesunveiled.com, hit the ask a millionaire tab and then send a recording and we'll play your soundbite during the show, either to us or to millionaires. So thanks for writing in there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And let's get into today's episode with Mark. Mark, do you want to just give us a little about your background or what you're up to now? Yeah. So uh, 50 years old. I've been in the uh, public fire service my whole life since uh, 17 years old. Been a firefighter, paramedic, captain, fire marshal. And uh, now I work as a deputy fire marshal at a, a local fire department. Wow, that's pretty Very, remarkable. Yeah. Been fireman for for your whole career. It is, yeah. When in high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. You know, I used to watch L.A. Law and was t- totally captivated by that. And um, we had a lot of fires where I lived, so I joined the fire department to help out. And I went on my first fire and was hooked, and I loved it. So the lawyer went out the window, and I've just you know enjoyed my life helping people and you know just making a living at what I love. So did not go to college, is that correct? Went straight into the fire service. Correct. So um, you do have to take some college courses. But back then when I started, um, back in the late 80s, it wasn't required. So I did go to college, got my associate's degree, got my paramedic um, certificate, and then got hired in the early 90s with um, a two-year degree. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. And what is your net worth today? Today, my net worth is uh, right about $964,000. Man, almost a millionaire. I love it. How is that broken up? Sure. So um, my home, uh, the current home my wife and I live in, um, we have uh, equity of about $282,000. I have a pension through the state that is uh, I could sell for $288,000. And they run it. I don't get a choice of what they do with that money. I have what's called an IAP, and that's $160,000. 
And that is what's, uh, it's time managed. So the closer I get to retirement, they change the management style for me. I don't get to touch that at all. Then I personally put into a, a what's called a 457 plan. I got 86, 87,000 in that. Um, and I have that pretty diversified. And then I have an HRA account, which uh, for medical supplies, which is a, a great way to earn tax-free growth. And that's in a growth fund. I have that aggressive growth. My wife at her work has a 403B. And she has about 100000 in that, and that's a blended fund through Vanguard. And then just to round it off, we have about 37000 in vehicles. In no cash or just little cash on, on in savings account or something? Yeah, so we are in the midst of paying off our debt because we um, had a realization about nine months ago when I turned 50 and went, oh, man, we need to fix something. So, yeah, all our savings went to paying off debt. So. We have a thousand dollar emergency fund, and and that's paying off consumer debt or house uh, home debt or what what kind of debt? Yeah, so we still had student loans because I went back and got my bachelor's degree. Uh, my wife uh, got her bachelor's for nursing, and uh, then we so we had consumer debt. We had some personal loans. We had some outstanding tax loans, some car loans, and uh, we still we just have one more loan to pay off for our um, RV. So we're almost there. Awesome. And then house will be after that, or house is already paid off. No, nope, we um, we owe two hundred and fifty five thousand on the house. We just actually refied, so we got a nice rate, fifteen year fixed. So that hopefully will be paid off in about five to seven years is our plan. Okay, so I want to back up here, Mark. You know, we had, we talked a little bit before the show, and you kind of give you some insight in, into your journey and waking up at at fifty and trying to calculate retirement since you were eligible. Just for our listeners, do you mind? kind of explaining the, the journey up to 50 and, and what that realization looked like for you. Sure. Yeah. Um, I got hired in 1993. I was 23 years old, never even heard of the term investing. And when I got my job, I sat down with an investor at came to our work and said, Hey, you guys can put into this 457 plan. You throw in $50 a month. And when you retire, you'll be a millionaire. And I'm like, that sounds good to me. So I put in my $50 a month, picked a random fund. I had no idea how to do it. And then I pretty much forgot about it and never paid it another, another mind at all until a couple of years ago. And I wasn't even close to being a millionaire. It had $80,000 in it. <laughs> so I turned 50. I knew I was going to be eligible for retirement in a few months, looked at what my pension would be, and it wasn't even close to meeting our bills. And I thought, man, I have done something really foolish and uh, I should have actually paid more attention when I was younger because I could have been in a lot better spot where I, than I am today. And you were looking at, at at that. I mean, did you did you kind of rewind and and ask yourself, you know, not in a, in a in a bad way, but just was my mindset to to be dependent on the on the pension? Is that kind of what you were thinking, you know, in your twenties and thirties and forties? You know, I don't I don't think it was. I don't think I was ever going to just strictly rely on my pension because I don't think I was that focused on my future years. I was more worried about, you know, I've had a couple boats, we go on vacations, we, you know, my wife always has a nice car. So we were just saying whatever money came in, we'd spend it and we didn't worry about the future. Um I knew I had a pension, I know I had social security, and I always thought those would just be there even though I never thought about it. But I do, in retrospect, look back and, and regret some of those, you know, the lack of focus that I had for the future. When you had this change at, at 50, when you went to your wife or your wife came to you, or what was that dynamic like in, in discussing where you had been and where you decided that you wanted to go going forward? Well, I think, you know, my wife and I, 
we like to take nightly walks. So we talk about, you know, our dreams and how, what we want to do in retirement. And then, you know, as I, you get closer, you sit down and start actually looking and crunching the numbers. And when we started doing that, we were realizing that we weren't going to be there as soon as we wanted to be and that we were going to have to work longer than we hoped to work. So I think we did really good about coming together and finding a plan on how to get there as quickly as we can. So, I mean, we're kind of doing, we're not doing the fire movement, but we're getting close to that. It, we're just doing it in our later years because we want to do retire early. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you, you come at this saying, hey, I'm 50. I woke up and decided that I wanted to change, you know, how I was going about this. We have some people who, you know, grind away in their 20s and 30s. And we always ask the question, trying to figure out what that balance looks like, because somebody who might be in their, you know, 20s and 30s, they might miss out on some of the experiences that you had, you know, in your 20s and 30s that you can never really go buy back because your body's not the same or your environment's not the same or things change. You say you regret maybe changing, you know, in terms of your investing allocation or putting more away earlier, but surely you don't regret a bunch of those experiences that you took that you had and, you know, all the vacations or whatever that you might've had when you were in your twenties, thirties and forties. Correct. Yeah. I, I don't regret that at all. Um, I think I just regret the the lack of intentionality when I was younger. I think I could have done both because I could, have instead of putting that $50 a month into some random account that I didn't know what I was doing, if I would have taken a more active role through my twenties, thirties and forties, because that $50 stayed the same through my 30s, 40s, I never changed it. it. You know, it shouldn't have been $50. It should have been a percentage. So it would grow as I grew in my income. And uh, I just didn't do that. So I think I could have done both. And if I had done, if I'd been more focused on budgeting, living within my means, I think I could have got all of that done. I still enjoyed my life, still had those experiences and still been better prepared for retirement. So how much how much in, de- in debts did you have and how much have you already paid off? What's your progress? Uh, see here. So in January, we had, I think, because we started January 1st, we had $72,000 in debt and we're down to the last 15000 so almost 60000 Wow. Good for you. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's, that's I guess, excluding the home, right? So just the, the, Correct. the loans on everything else. Wow. Good for you. That's, I mean, that's a nice 10, right? Sixty grand in a year and we're not even done with the year. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully we should be, yeah, we were hoping to have it done in two years, but I think we'll have it done in 13 months. So Wow. Good for you. And then you're going to go on Dave Ramsey and do a debt-free scream? <laughs> My wife hasn't gave me a yes or a thumbs up <laughs> yet, so I'm not sure. Awesome. So you had a goal that you said two years, right, to pay it off? That's what we thought, two years. And then, you know, once you realize what you can do when you're really intense about it or budget well, and say no to the things you're not used to see, it goes a lot faster than you think it will. I think so, people have a lot more power in their income than they think they do. So expound on that. How so? Is it, is it, isn't it harder to say no than you thought it would be, or is it easier? I think for the first week it was hard. But once you get that first paycheck and you realize your, your debt went down instead of stayed the same, and it wasn't two days after getting paid that you're broke already, then because you're on the budget, right? So the, the budget really allows you to spend whatever you plan on spending. So there is no, oh, geez, I'm broke because you're staying within your plan. So I didn't have a problem saying no. You know, at the six-month mark, I think I got a little tired because I do love, you know, having a a white coffee at the local coffee shop, you know, and those get expensive. So 
I just found a good alternative that I can make myself and that satisfies me. So especially when you see progress. Sure. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question is, what do you say no to or what has really changed? Have there been drastic changes made? So I think, you know, a lot of, we got rid of eating out. Um, so we don't go to restaurants all the time because, you know, we have two older boys and there's a lot of sports and driving around and you're tired. We both work and it's like, I'm tired. I'm going to get pizza tonight, you know, and that there's a 50. We used to go to the movies a lot, um, which COVID helped with that, of course, because you can't go to the movies. So <laughs> saved a little there. But, you know, I was spending two, $300 a month just on coffee. And your wife, you shared with us, she now works outside the home as well, right? And she actually went back to school, which is pretty amazing to become a nurse. Yeah, she did. So she, um, when we first met, she worked in a pizza place manager there. And um, once we started having the little babies, she went ahead and stayed home with the kids. We were super blessed. My job in the fire service, you know, allowed us one income. So once the kids were in school full time, um, she went to, back to work, worked in a medical office for a local doctor, and she loved working there and thought I want to be a nurse. So she went to school and, oh man, she rocked it. So now she works full time and makes great salary at a local hospital and she works in critical care and does a great job taking care of people. So. Wow. That's amazing. Good for her and, and good for you guys. Alrighty. Let's take a quick interview, a quick break from the interview with Mark, whether it's investing in your kid's college fund or just wanting financial freedom, there are countless reasons to build up your nest egg. We've kept our eye on an under the radar investment, but it's always been exclusive to the ultra wealthy. Finally, there's a way to get access to this $6 trillion asset class. Prices have nearly doubled S&P returns from 95 to 2020. When we heard about it, we wanted to keep you in the loop. It's all thanks to one startup democratizing access to the exclusive investment. It's not real estate, gold, or anything to do with crypto. They've been featured in the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Bloomberg, and others. And lucky for you, we're given a few passes to skip their waitlist and join about 200,000 other members. If you wish to secure your spot, head to masterworks.io slash unveiled. Again, that's masterworks.io slash unveiled. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. So I've been on the mailing list for Masterworks for a couple of years and been, been following some of their stuff. They've sent emails. Um, it's kind of syndicated art. So it's kind of, it's interesting. And at the very least, you can see what people are investing in. And Jason and I, at the, at the beginning of the intro or beginning of the show, Next week, we'll talk a little bit about art because it's something we haven't talked about, but I, I think it's interesting concept. So thanks again to Masterworks for supporting the show. When you support our sponsors, you support our show. And without any further delay, let's get back into the interview with Mark. So just as we talk about this story, your story and paying off debt and coming to this realization, is there something as you've started to pay this off that's been harder than you thought it would be? Or vice versa, is there something you thought was going to be hard to give up, but that actually wasn't so bad? Or what's stood out here if, as your message to somebody who's maybe starting to pay off debt and feels overwhelmed, at least initially, by it? Right. So I think it's the bigger loans to me that feel overwhelming. So our biggest loan was our RV. And, you know, some of the little tiny, like credit cards or the little tiny, um, student loans, those you can pay off really fast. So you get a lot of momentum there. But when you run up against a big debt, it takes really some fortitude to work through that, but it's worth it. And when you do get through one of those big debts and you can, you know, roll that payment into the next one, it just, it makes it worth it. So you have to kind of stick to it. And if you fall off, you fall off. The next day you get back on and you just move forward. Don't look back when you make a mistake and eat out or buy something stupid you didn't need, you know. Sure. So let me just switch gears here. I want to ask you about your pension funds that you have at work and, and then one of the retirement account. 
How is that invested? You said you don't have a say in it, but I'm just curious, how do they invest that for you? So I'm what's called a tier one employee. So um, all my money goes into the tier one account and the state invests it very conservatively because they are not supposed to lose any money. And unfortunately, that doesn't keep up real well. When the market's down, it drops. And when the market goes up, it doesn't go up as fast as everything else. So it's unfortunately, like a lot of state pensions, it's behind. But hopefully, that's not going to affect me too much. But that, that I don't get a say. It's under legislative control, and it's invested the way they said it's going to be invested. They have a sure. fund manager that takes care of it. Yeah. And then what's the payout look like for you? How long do you get it and how much do you get and how is that calculated? Um, So it's calculated based on the age I retire and then expected life, you know, how long they think I'm going to live and then whether or not I pick a beneficiary and how long they think that beneficiary is going to live, of course. So, you know, the longer they got to pay it, it gets a little lower. And then you want to know the number I actually am supposed to get. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if I retire and I'm planning on retiring when I turn 58, and I'm hoping to get about nine thousand a month off of that. Oh wow, that's a lot. Seventy grand a year. Uh, well, yeah, more than that. Like, geez, yeah, geez, be I like, did this the other night too. I can't do my math. Sit here and do, account- <laughs> sit here and do accounting all day, and then you can't do it. So hundred yeah. over a hundred grand, right? Hundred eight grand. Yeah, just somewhere right in there, somewhere. Wow. And how much do you spend annually now? Or let oh. me say pre-debt payments, how much did you spend? And then now, how much do you spend? I guess those are probably different numbers if you're saving as much as you are, right? Right. So let's see here. How much do we spend? So right now, our monthly budget is about, I think, five to 6000 that we spend that comes in and goes out, and the rest goes gets put to debt. So And then once that's over, that the rest of what we bring in will go to investments, saving up for new cars, going, you know, not new cars, but new to me cars, going on a trip here and there. Nothing crazy. Paying for kids college. That uh, $9,000 a month. I mean, that's got to be worth what 1.8 to 2.5 for you. I mean, roughly I mean, $9,000 a month. If you're looking at the the drawdown, I mean, if you conservative look at a four to 6% return and draw, you know, withdrawal rate on that, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a substantial amount of money. It is. That's why they don't have tier one employees anymore. <laughs> well, my, my point is that I, I think maybe you've undervalued your net worth a little bit. I mean, $9,000 a month, essentially you have an annuity. And if you put a value on that rough math, I mean, at 6%, you're looking at, you know, one, you know, four to 6%, you're looking anywhere from 1.8 to, to 2.7 for that. And obviously you make the comment that they don't have tier one employees anymore. I mean, that's a substantial amount of change. I mean, you get $9,000 a month guaranteed for you and, and your beneficiary, correct, for essentially life, right? Correct. Yeah. The, yeah. That's the weird part is if I sold my pension, I would only get roughly 300000 out of it. So that's so you don't part. you don't think you could retire off that, Mark? I think I could. I don't think it would allow me to do it. My wife and I have planned in retirement. So my oh, wife you want to you want to live a little lav- a little more lavishly? We don't actually. We're <laughs> we're pretty uh, we're pretty laid back. My wife and I want to do some medical missions uh, in Africa. We'd love to go do YWAN ships and Mercy ships. We want to do a bunch of giving to some of the missionaries in our church. So honestly, we just want to be able to to spend time helping and giving to other people. We don't really want to go, you know, to Monaco and you know gamble the roulette whale or. There might be a scuba diving trip in Greece <laughs> in there somewhere, but 
you know, nothing sure. crazy. So no, good for you. Good for you. Realistically, though, if you put that pension, you said you would get that today, that nine thousand a month, roughly. No, <laughs> no. So if I retired in January when I was eligible, I would have got five, five thousand a month. Wow. So another eight years, you've almost doubled, right? You said yeah. fifty-eight. You're planning so. I mean, being that classification in tier one you bring up, I mean, that's 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 pretty substantial. You work another seven, eight years and almost double the, the value of that pension, correct? That's the plan. Does that make you want to keep working longer to make it even bigger? No. How come? So, because I'm, I'm really not into making it as, you know, I mean, if, if I was worried about making it as big as I could possibly make it, I'd work till 70 or 80, but. I want to make it to where I'm hitting my goals and where I can do my wife and I's retirement dream. And then we can do it. It's, you know, it's, I think part of me when I was a firefighter, I didn't work eight to five Monday through Friday. I did shift work. So that allowed me a lot of days off. So I was um, football coach. I was baseball coach, t-ball coach, soccer coach. You know, um, I coached all my kids through all their sports because of that. And, you know, that gave me a love for, being part of something, not just working for a bigger check. You know, I work for so I can meet the goals and dreams that I want to meet. Yeah, Mark, you know, we started this off a little bit that that you'd had all these regrets. And, you know, as we get into this story, I mean, it's pretty remarkable, right? Like, you may have these regrets of maybe not intentionally planning financially some of the things you've done. But really, I mean, the, the career choice you made, the love and the passion that you have for it, being able to do a lot of the things like you mentioned, coaching teams and, and doing all these other things and, and being in a position now at, at 50. And I know you still have some debt that you mentioned that you want to pay off and are aggressively paying that off. But, you know, all things considered, you've, you've gone on a phenomenal journey. You're going to be able to contribute to, to the things that are your passion about. You've got this great pension lined up. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you're well over a million dollars in net worth based on, on what you've explained to us. And it, it's it's pretty phenomenal. I just say I tip my hat to you. You know, in maybe your eyes, you think you haven't intentionally planned it as much or as well as you wanted to. But all things considered, you kind of stuck on a path and, and stuck with it and, you know, designed your lifestyle and your life around your career in a way versus the other way around. And, and you're really going to come out in a pretty remarkable fashion, you know, come 50, 58, whenever you want to retire, correct? I hope so. So as you look into the to the future here, when did the desire to do some of the things that you've mentioned take shape in, in, in you and your wife's, you know, evening talks? And with that, how did you decide on what you needed financially to, to kind of make that happen? Right. So um, when my kids were, or my oldest, when he was about 12, we went on a mission trip to San Francisco and we did um, Youth with a Mission. and that was so life-changing, getting to work with people who are homeless on the street, you know, maybe have some addiction issues. But the love they give you and the love you give back to them was really, really changes you as a person. And I think that's what it did. That's when I got my love for helping other people, was trying to teach my son to care for other people and show him, you know, what true need looks like. I ended up learning, learning that as well. So I think that's where a lot of that love comes from. Now I just want to do it more. You know, I just really want to help people. So I think that's where that came from. And, you know, my wife's a nurse, so it's just in her DNA to help and love on people. So I've been doing it my whole life. So Yeah. And how did you financially come up with what you needed to make that happen for yourselves? 
Well, I think it I think it stems from two different ideas. The first is my wife and I make a really good salary and about four days or five days after payday, my wife would say, because she handles all the bills and she goes, hey, we're broke. Stop spending money. And so it, it got to the point where it's like, how can we be broke? We make so much money and um, you know our bills don't seem that that big, but we were. We were always broke. She's always like, okay, no more no more money. Stop spending. No more coffees. I'll be like, all right, fine. So, so I think it's like, well, if I make this now and I'm broke, I guess I need that much when I retire. So I, I'm kind of using that as a goalpost, and I'm starting to learn that that's probably not necessary true, necessarily true, because a lot of my money I don't get to see because it goes to taxes and Social Security, and some goes into retirement, and some you know goes to to debt that we won't have you know when we retire. So I think I may not need as much as I do, but that's where part of it came from. And then a lot of them go to you go to a calculator and you go four percent rule and you're like okay if I need this much cash then I you know I work it up and it says I need like two point three million to retire so I can travel a little bit and so there's so many different ways to look at it I'm not really sure how much I need because I haven't really sat down with a financial professional and said how much do I need they usually just say more so <laughs> right we're, we're we're programmed in society in one way or another to to feel that way aren't we. Yeah. Is there anything you specifically have done with your children as it relates to learning about money or maybe teaching them some of the things you've learned or maybe cautioning them some of the mistakes that you've made? I think that, um, you know, I didn't really get into my money until my one son was 19 and my youngest is 15. So I think they're learning right along with me about budgeting, about being intentional, you know, about not acquiring debt. And just having a plan. So it's really just being open and honest with my kids about where we're at, what we make, and where the money goes. And uh, they, they're smart enough to learn right along beside me. So I think that helps yeah. out. Yeah. So moving forward to your career now, Mark, and around the firehouse or with the people you work with, is money often talked about or is it is it kind of hush-hush? Yeah, around uh, my job, we talk a little bit about money. Um, sometimes... Um, when someone's getting close to retirement, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. But there isn't a lot of open conversation about how much you should be saving. You know, there's not a lot of specifics and items like that, which is weird because, you know, we're under, we're a government agency. So everybody knows what everybody gets paid because it's all public knowledge. So, right, right. Yeah. So, and I wish that when I first started in the fire service, that they would have been a little more. I don't know, maybe educated me more, but it's not their responsibility to do that about how to retire. Yeah. Yeah. As you look back on your life journey and this financial journey, you talk about some experiences. You mentioned a couple boats and RV. What was worth the money on to you and, and what was not worth the money on? <laughs> oh, man. You know, the best day a boat owner has is when he buys his boat and when he sells his boat, right? <laughs> that's the saying, right? The best day of your life is when right. you buy a boat. The next best day is when you sell it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so a, a boat is just a hole in the water you throw money into. Um, I don't think I regret them, those decisions. I loved both my boats. We had a blast on them, you know, fishing and skiing and tubing with the boys. The RV, we still have and use it all the time. We love it. So I think those purchases were good purchase purchases um they weren't lavish you know i'm not buying a fifty thousand dollar yacht you know these were twelve thousand dollar boats and they use them for a while and you sell them and then you buy another one when you're ready to do it again so um, i don't regret <laughs> any of those those purchases at all so i regret the debt that i encumbered 
to have that joy. So, did it ever scare you, Mark, along the way? Is as you were working that you had these debts and were make? I mean, what, how many? How much in payments were you making a month? Did it make you nervous? You know, it never did. So my wife and I, we've never been behind in our bills. We never missed a payment. So as far as I was concerned, we were healthy. We were making all the right decisions because we had you great normal, credit. You were normal, right? That's what Dave Ramsey says. You're normal. We are normal. Normal is not enough, I've learned. so. And so now, as, you, as you've gotten a grasp on this, and I mean, I think worth at least a couple million, right, with Jace's explanation of this pension, has the financial security or the financial, you know, knowing where you're going to be at, at least in eight years, right, when you retire, has that mm-hmm. affected your happiness, your confidence levels, or not so much? So I think that here in the last month or two, when I've I've never even looked up my net worth till you know a month ago. It's getting better. I'm starting to see now because I've since I've never handled the bills, and now that I'm doing it with my wife, you know, and we do a budget together, and I'm starting to see with our debt gone what our monthly requirements are going to be, and I'm seeing that we're actually beginning to move the tide to where I'm comfortable as a person. I think my wife's kind of comfortable. Me, I'm my fear is starting to go away because I know the first part of this year when we first started our debt, getting rid of our debt. I was nervous. I didn't know when I was going to be able to retire. Yeah. And you mentioned the budgeting. How do you, I know you budget now. How do you do it? What's your method? What's our method? We use an app, um, every dollar. Um, it's pretty okay. easy to use. D- Dave Ramsey's app. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's, yeah, pretty easy. Every um, dollar just, gets a job. It, yep. It gets a job. We don't use it the way he likes it because um, we don't, <laughs> but we just use it as our guardrails. You know, we, we have all our categories. We put what we're going to spend in them and then we, we don't worry about sinking funds and what goes to debt. We just, if we stay within our, our lanes and don't go over budget in certain categories, unless it's approved by both of us, then we know we're going to have a nice chunk to put on debt. So yeah. 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 Did you pay attention to credit score at all? Throughout your life, was that, I mean, it's becoming more and more popular now. You hear people talking about credit score or needing a score to borrow money. You know, Dave Ramsey's still obviously against that and, and credit cards, but was that a big thing for you? So when I was a kid, I saw my mom's credit score once when she bought a house. And I did, when I found out what that number was, I think my mom's was like 829 or 825 or something. And I'm like, oh man, I, I want to be, you know, like my mom, I want to get that big, awesome credit score, you know, that's success. And, uh, I think when we, this January, I looked at mine and it was like 815 or something. I was so close and I knew it was going to start going down as soon as <laughs> I started paying off debt. And it sure enough, it did. It went down when I started paying off debt, but it was, I really wanted a great credit score. You know, that to me, that meant success. But when I actually started learning about what a credit score is, it's not really success. So, I mean, isn't that amazing? You start paying off your debt and your score starts going down. Yeah. I mean, yeah, how, went, yeah. how stupid is that? Yeah. So let me just jump into some rapid fire questions and then we'll we'll come back and finish with a couple. And I think Chase maybe has a couple left. So let me just ask you, what's the most expensive pair of jeans you've ever purchased? Probably 50 bucks. Some that okay. aren't on sale. Yeah. Okay. Most expensive shoes? Probably 150. Good pair of hiking shoes. Okay. What about a car? And I'm going to toss in a boat for you. <laughs> most expensive car would be my wife's. That was a GMC Acadia. How much was that? That was about 40000 Okay. Uh, most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Mm, I would say probably 350 Nice anniversary dinner. Okay. Uh, what's your uh, predicted retirement age and net worth? We talked about, have you ever used a financial advisor? No. I've talked to a couple on the phone interviewing them, but I've never used a financial advisor or sat down with them in a long time. 
we have a financial advisor come into our work, you know, every once in a while, but I wouldn't really consider that a financial advisor. That's just, you know, they handle all the retirement accounts for all the firefighters. So um, as much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of annual household income? Sure. So um, when I first started in the fire service, I actually was eligible for food stamps. I made $18,000 a year my first year, or no, excuse me, 24000 a year, um, 1800 a month. And I was super excited for that. This year, my wife and I, between her salary and mine, we should net about 240 or not net, I apologize, gross, gross about 240 Wow, good for you. Good for you. And what is somebody who starts in a similar career as you, what do they start at now? Do you know? Yeah, so in, where I work, a firefighter will probably start out about 60000 top out about ninety. Captains are going to be higher than that, you know, captains okay. who run, run the And it's so. really after you get a nice raise after, what is it, like five years or so? Uh, so in the fire service, you get a raise every year, four or five years, and then you're top step. Okay. So just wrapping it up here before Jace asks a couple, what does it mean to be happy and fulfilled to you? What's What are you searching for? And it, what what part does money play in that? I think being happy and fulfilled means getting to spend your time on what it is you love and whom you love to spend it with. So for me specifically, that's spending time with my family, my church family, and, and just doing the things we love to do together, whether it's camping, helping people, you know, doing some work somewhere to, to bless somebody. That's happiness to me. And I think what money allows you to do is to keep the lights on and the belly full while you do it. So I think that's a great answer. Do you plan on spending more or less or about the same as, as you head into retirement? I think we're going to spend more at first into retirement just because of um, some plans we have. You know, we want to tour the U.S. in an RV for a couple of years. We want to spend some time in Europe traveling. You know, we want to do all that um, mission trips with Mercy Ships and YWAM and um, you know, use our medical certifications until they expire. Um, but I think once we're done with all the the crazy, then I think we're going to want to just, you know, sit back and see if we can't make a legacy for our boys. Do you share with them where your net worth is and where your goals are at? Uh, we have not. So I don't think they need to know that now. I think they know that need to know that we work hard and um, that we are going to do our best to help them. But we don't share our specific numbers with them at all. What about with family or friends? I mean, do they know you're essentially millionaires? Uh, no, they don't. And do they know that you're aggressively trying to pay down debt, or is this something that, that you and your wife are just doing and attacking the, the, just the two of y'all? No. So my mom's she's one of our uh, biggest um, you know uh, cheerleaders for us. She actually got on board, too, and started paying off her debt, and she beat us. So <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Well, sorry, sorry in advance if your friends or family find out. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. Well, it's, it doesn't matter. I can't touch any of it till I retire anyway. So, Yeah, totally. So just to wrap up here, what would your advice be to somebody who's just starting out or maybe even the, the, the boys that you have? What, what kind of message would you leave them with as it relates to the journey that you've been on? I think I'd want to tell them to get on a budget, learn about what investments you're capable of making now, and Make sure you intentionally follow those investments along and make sure it's the best thing as you move forward. Um, Because I think it's that intentionality, the budget that's going to help you do that instead of living the way I lived, which was paycheck to paycheck. And as long as I could meet all my debt payments every month, then I was doing good. So, 
have you always lived in the same house? And if not, how many houses have you have you purchased? So this is our fourth house that we live in now. Um, we bought our first house in 2000, um, fixed it up, uh, sold it, made a little money, moved in, built, built a house after that, um, sold it, made a little money. Then we bought a farm, which was awesome. Raised my kids on a farm so they know where their food comes from. Um, some of the lessons on a farm are hard, of course. Um, but they definitely have a respect uh, for food when they eat it. And then uh, we sold that and bought this house. And were all those house purchases, you said you made a little money, were they fairly intentional in the planning process of, of your financial journey or were they job related or? Nope. So I've worked in the same same location my whole life. And my wife and I always wanted to make sure that, you know, as we sold a house and bought a house, that it was going to be something that benefited us financially even though it met where we're at in our life now. So we always held a house for at least, you know, seven years. So it would appreciate and earn us some value for the next house. And we've always upgraded as we went. So And done 30-year mortgages, 15-year mortgages on all of them? Uh, yeah. So every mortgage has been a 30-year mortgage. And we just went to our first 15 years. So we refied just now for a 15-year mortgage. Okay. The other thing... Mark, that you mentioned is you've got an HRA in in your portfolio. That's not something that that we've touched on much on the show. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that is beneficiary? How that benefits you personally? Right. So through my uh, work, they put in a couple hundred dollars a month into my health retirement account, and when I retire, that becomes mine. And whenever I spend whatever's in there on a appropriate healthcare item, it's tax-free. And then I get to control where that HRA is invested. So um, every time they put money in, it goes into an account that I have set up to be an aggressive growth. And, you know, the, the concept is, is since as firefighters, we retire early because it's so hard on our bodies. Firefighters typically retire around the age of 55. And it's supposed to make your extra secondary insurance payment until you get Medicare for 10 years. So that's that's the goal. That's how it works. And you think that will end up working that it'll work that way for you in terms of what you have in there? Hopefully it's, you know, it's at 21,000 now. I expect in the next 8 years it'll probably at least double. It might get upwards of 50,000 and that should pay my um my insurance until I can, you know, hit 65 and get Medicare. Okay. And that's pretty unique to to your, I mean, I guess public service, there's several of them out there that, that have that option. There's not as many that, that I know of or that I've heard of, at least in corporate America. Is that your understanding as well? Just because you're, you're in that world with an HRA and have the ability to control that. I've only heard of a few other companies that even have some, some sort of, most of them just have a straight HSA. Yeah, I'm, I think it's pretty much the same thing as an HSA. I don't know what the difference is. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, they are, but there, there's a few unique things uh, about the HRAs that, and and, I, and really, they're they're I think they're geared more toward public service anyway. But there's some reimbursement arrangements. Um, you know that the employer is completely funding it, whereas HSA employees also have an option of funding it. In some some cases, depending on how the plan is designed uh, that the funds may not leave with you as you go because the employer is funding them. But in, in your case and in the cases of most uh, public service ones that I'm a, a, a accustomed to or aware of, those funds, you do have that option. But in corporate America, the companies that do have 
uh, HRAs, they are 100% benefit for the employee until the employee is no longer an employee. And then they become basically the, 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 the pool of funds, you know, go for that company's employees only. Whereas that HSA, oh. you can keep it and take it with you no matter where you go. Well, I might have to stop by the uh, HR department tomorrow and confirm that. Y- you may be okay. I'm just that's just how in corporate <laughs> America some of those some of those work is is you don't get to take them. But I think in in public service, I think in and I'll have to double check myself too. But that, that those sometimes you can take with you. Yeah, nice. Cool. Well, once again, that's Mark net worth well over a million dollars. He says nine sixty four, but it's well over a million with the pension. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire. 